Well, Brother Mel is preaching today in Hong Kong on the occasion of their 15th church anniversary. We praise God for 15 years in Hong Kong. Amen? Praise the Lord. God has indeed preserved and sustained the church there. Once again, we are thankful to the Lord for the message that He has in store for all of us today. It is a thrill, once again, amen, to soak ourselves in the Word of God. Our guest speaker is no stranger to many of us here. He is actually the senior pastor of the Way Christian Ministries in Cagayan de Oro City. is a sister church under CCM. So friends, please help me welcome Pastor Bobby Tayag. I'm so glad to be here today. Brother Mel invited me, I, if my memory serves me right, on a September month like this. And it was on the occasion of uh, one of our CCM meeting held here in Cebu. And I remember during one of our meal breaks, he set me aside just outside that door, and he said, Bob's, that's how he, he calls me, he said, Bob's, could I invite you to speak here in Cebu on a Sunday? And for certain reason, I immediately said, yes. And from there, I thought that, you know, it would be a month after, perhaps two or three months after, and, and I was excited, but at the same time, bracing, because I was kind of apprehensive to fill in his shoes here in this pulpit. Brother Mel is somebody we have come to respect in CCM as far as pulpit ministry is concerned. We know him to be an anointed man of God in handling the words. So I was also kind of dreading the phone call. But it did not come till two years after. And, and so here I am, and so thankful to the Lord, and so honored to be here, to be His servant, to be His instrument for, for the encouragement of everyone. Could you bow down with me for a word of prayer? And let's ask the blessing of the Lord for, for each and every one of us. Father, Lord, we thank you and bless you for the greatness of what you have afforded us through Christ in salvation. Today, we humble ourselves, Lord, and, and come to you asking you to help us, be with us, Lord. Make, make your presence felt by each and every one through your word. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will open each and everyone's mind and heart to be planted with your wisdom, with your truth, Lord, that we might know how to live a life worthy of you, a life that will be useful for your purposes according to the urgency of your call in the gospel. Thank you that you will do this, Lord. And Father, I pray that I may be an instrument for these things, O oh God. Thank you once again. 
and may all be for your praise and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. As everyone say, Amen and Amen. And, you know, in prayer, I felt the burden to share with you this portion of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. And so allow me to read for you this passage this morning. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed with various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 8, continues and says, And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. May God bless His Word upon our hearts and our minds today. Amen. I entitled this message, The Joyful Confidence of the Elect in Christ. And, and I made a subtitle for it also. And I subtitled it as, You Should Be Able to Figure It Out. Okay? And probably does not strike any relevance at this point of the sermon. But allow me to just put into perspective what I believe is the main import of Peter's words here as he is enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Let me begin with a story for you. A five-year-old child began to observe several white hairs on his mother's head as the mother was washing the dishes after dinner. The boy asked, Mommy, why do you have several white hairs already? And the mother, seeing the opportunity, replied and explained in this way. She said, You see, son, every time you do something bad, and it, get, it gets me angry. And every time I get angry, I grow a white and when the child heard that, he was, he was grieved. He was taken aback. And, and he replied to his mom and said, I won't do bad things to make you angry again, mommy. And the mother said, promise? I promise, mommy. I won't do bad things anymore. To which the mother said, okay, so run along now. Continue your play. And the child went out. But it did not take long, it did not take five minutes, and the boy came back into the kitchen once more. And he said to his mom, Mommy, can I ask another question? And the mother said, yeah, what is it? Okay. To, your, to your answer to my first question, 
Is that the same reason why grandma's and grandpa's hair are all white at this time? Mommy. <laughs> is that the reason for that? You know, my point is, from this fabricated reason that the mother gave, somehow the child was able to figure it out, to figure out something. But brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning, allow me to say that God, our Heavenly Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, did not fabricate a reason for why we, His children, though born again into a living hope. This is the context of the earlier verses before verse 6 to verse 9 that we just read. That we, His children, being born again into a living hope, which is an inheritance like no other, because as mentioned earlier in this passage, it is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. And God did not fabricate a reason to tell us why, in spite of this immense wealth of blessing in redemption, do we need to go through sufferings, trials, and pain? And why we can still be confident. And if I may add, not just confident, but confidently joyful. You get my point? God gives us reasons through this letter of the Apostle Peter why we can continue to be confidently joyful amidst our pain, our difficulties, our trials, and even our temptations. Our loving God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, provides us the reasons so that we can exude with confident joy in Christ amidst the troubles of life. And so we entitled our message, The Joyful Confidence of the Elect in Christ. And allow me to provide you some, some historical background. Let's put this passage in context before we continue. Take note of how the letter of the Apostle Peter, after the salutation, begins with these words. In uh, verse 1, we find here Peter writing to people who are scattered abroad and residing in these places called in verse 1 as Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, where are these places? And uh, we have the old map of Asia Minor uh, on the screen and it is in that part of the world where you find those places. If we bring up a much later map of this portion of the world, we will find that those places are pretty much in the country of, of Turkey. 
And for significance, uh, Turkey, uh, geographically, is the land bridge of the Middle East and Europe. That's why today, um, refugees fleeing the horrors of Syria and Lebanon passes through Turkey. And Turkey opens its front door, but at the same time opens wide its back door because they do not want to accommodate refugees. And so they pass through and they go all the way up to Europe. And that's, I believe, part of the reason why there is several terrorist activities now taking place in, in Europe. But that's a geographical background. And uh, allow me to continue. Look at verse 2. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Verse 2, and he's writing particularly to those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. That's why He says to them, May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. He's talking to those who have been chosen before the foundation of the world, the elect in Christ who are chosen to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And they are now objects of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Now, those are significant as we move on later on. And we are being sanctified to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that obedience is not our sole responsibility. Amen? God is working in us to help us to obey. And why does he say this? For a background also, let me bring up the, the next map. And on the red are portions during that time that are dominated by the Roman Empire. And by implication, in the lives of these believers scattered in those places, Peter's readers were enduring affliction. Some may have been facing martyrdom for their faith. Some were under pressure in their homes from pagan spouses, in their jobs from pagan employers, and in their communities from pagan acquaintances and this pagan culture. And some were probably wondering, why suffer for our faith? Is it worth all the pain I am going through? Perhaps some of you have those questions today as you are going through difficulties, trials, and pain. And note, to encourage them, Peter did not begin with any command, with any practical advice, but he started to raise up their spiritual eyes to focus on God and the amazing salvation and its implications in the present and in the future 
that God has lavished upon them and has lavished upon us. Amen? Allow me to read for you 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 now. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In verse 4, it says, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And Peter according to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, points out that we, they and we, are born again to a living hope. Does that strike significance to you? Does that term strike significance to you? Living hope. Because if there's living hope, I believe there's dying hope. Amen? It's as obvious as that. And what is dying hope? Allow me to illustrate in a practical way. For example, okay, and dying hope is the kind of hope we have as human beings. That's the kind of hope that is innate, inherent among us in this world. Take, for example, you have this coveted cell phone. Uh, uh, never mind the brand, <laughs> okay? I don't want to advertise anything. And, and you, you go to the mall and you pass this storm and you see this most coveted cell phone on the window. And you salivate and you say to yourself, if only I could have that cell phone. And you save up for it. And come the time, you have enough money to buy for it. But all the while you were saving up, you have this hope, you have this expectation, and you have this anticipation all boiling up within you. But let me tell you, the moment you get your hands on that cell phone, the moment you possess it, all the hopes and all the anticipation, all the expectation begins to die. Are you following me? The moment you get what you are hoping for and what you are expecting for in this temporal life, all those hopes and all those expectations, they begin to die. And that's true with food, that's true with relationship, and that's very true with material things. And that's why what happens is, from there, we begin to scan the horizon and try to find something that has novelty for us, and then we set our hopes on that once again. We set our expectations and we set our anticipation until we get it. And it goes to that cycle again. That's dying hope. But Peter says, 
we were born again to a living hope. It never dies. It continues, friends, to eternity. And, and what's more, in verse 4, that living hope that we were born into translates now into an inheritance. Did you see that? It's an inheritance. Imperishable. It will be uncorrupted and it will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you, it says. And some of you might be saying at this point, well, that's great, Pastor. My inheritance is protected. But how about me? Look at verse 5. In verse 5, it says, You who are protected by the power of God for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Our inheritance eternal, imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, is protected. And we are protected at the same time. And Peter grounds them on this eternal truths to encourage them and lift up their hearts in the midst of their trials and sufferings. Or in other words, or probably if... If, is this consistent with the rest of Scripture? And, and at this point, to answer that, allow me to bring up to you Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. That was Peter. Here now is the Apostle Paul. And, and, and let's see what the Apostle Paul says, also under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. You know, it started in chapter 1 in Romans where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone. And then in chapter 2, in chapter 3, and chapter 4, he, began, he begins to explain and defend why God's method of salvation is through justification by grace through faith. Why it has to be by grace through faith. It cannot be by good works. It cannot be by our earning our salvation. Why? Because it will not be consistent with the holiness and the holy righteousness of God. The only method of salvation is salvation be given freely from the love and the grace of God. That is why real, genuine, and biblical salvation is only by grace through and the only way we can respond to that is receive it with gratitude. Amen? And then in verse 5, in chapter 5 of Romans, he now unfolds the greatness of the blessings of salvation. Allow me to read for you. Therefore, he says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Justification by faith places us in an environment of grace where we stand. Think about that, friends. And then he continues and says, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And in verse 3, he says, And not only this, but we exalt in our 
tribulation. For trivial, tribulation brings about perseverance. You know, some, some translations of the Bible, instead of using exalt, uses the word rejoice. And so it reads, we rejoice in our problems. How many here rejoices in their problems? But Paul says, we exalt in our tribulation because tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And many times, you know, we overlook the significance and the importance of that word, hope. And it says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit, friends. And that reality, that amazing reality from Peter and Paul is only possible to those who are genuinely born again. Amen? This is not for everyone in the world. This is only for those who are born again, justified by grace through faith. Problems take on a new meaning, a new significance in the lives of those who are called by God. They are met by God not to destroy us, but to build us up in the most holy faith. Amen. And it says there, and hope will not be prostrated. Why? Because the love of God has flooded our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's why it grieves my heart, friends, whenever I, when I, whenever I see people and hear people misunderstanding that term born again. And they speak ill of it. If they only knew the amazing reality of what being born again really is. And so allow me to bring you, you know, to our point, to our main point. Peter now presents to us perspectives of how we can continue to be confidently joyful triumphant, even in the most adverse circumstances. Let's begin, okay? The first one is a protected inheritance. Peter says, amidst difficulty and trials, he tells them, you can still be confident and you can still be joyful amidst that because you have a protected inheritance. That's why it's, he, he says in verse 6, the first part, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed with various trials. You know, Paul and Peter says the same thing. We should rejoice in the midst of trials. We should be confident and confidently joyful. And, and here, the word in this, of course, refers back to all of what has been previously said from verse 1 
to verse 4, which I explained a while back. And then we find this phrase, greatly rejoice. Allow me to focus on you on that one word, rejoice. You know, there are two Greek words that are used in the Bible for the word rejoice. One is Cairo, and that's what that's normal rejoicing. That's being happy, friends, in a sense. But Cairo was not used here. The word agalio was employed here by the Holy Spirit. And agaliao means to be exceedingly joyful, to be exceedingly glad. And that's what it is saying there. We should be exceedingly joyful when we encounter various trials. James says the same thing. Look at the mind of Scripture. Can you figure that out? Most of the time we grieve, we are sad, we are depressed when we are growing through difficulties. But that's not the mind of God for us. Amen. We are told to look up and be positive. Why? Because we have living hope. We have that living hope in verse 3 translates into an internal inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Friends, talking about inheritance for a while, who wouldn't like to be an heir of a vast business empire worth billions? Think about that with me for a while. To have enough money to have whatever you like and never have to worry about anything. I am reminded of this article I read about Paris Hilton. And, and don't confuse that name to the Hilton in Paris. There is a person that is really named Paris Hilton. And she and her sister are supposed to inherit a large sum of money from the Hilton chain of hotels all over the world, which was built by their grandfather, Conrad Hilton. And he left an estate worth 45 billion pounds, not dollars, pounds. And the sisters are supposed to inherit a significant amount from there. Now, who wouldn't like to inherit such kind of a wealth, friends? And we will not have to worry about payments of bills anymore, friends. You wouldn't probably worry about tomorrow and keeping up with the budget. Well, today, I want to tell you, if you're a Christian, you are an heir, and you have an inheritance far, far, far greater than any wealth in this temporal existence, friends. It is imperishable. It will not be corrupted, and it will not fade away. I'll make a little more sense of this in a little while, but bear with me. 
Now, why is this greater? Why is this inheritance from God much, much greater than anything in this temporal life? Well, let me put it in this way. Okay. All earthly inheritance can only be possessed and enjoyed on these terms, on these two terms. Did you hear me? All earthly inheritance and wealth can only be possessed and can only be enjoyed on these two terms. First is, enjoy it while it lasts. Okay? If you don't have enough wealth, well, probably it might be exhausted over time. All right? And the prospect of it being corrupted or it being stolen looms always. So enjoy it while it lasts. By the way, Paris Hilton lost a great deal of her inheritance. After the video scandal and a series of police arrests for loose living, she only got from 4.5 million, she only got a meager $5 million. And she lost what is supposed to come to her. Enjoy it while it lasts. The other term is Enjoy it while you last. <laughs> if you have that immense wealth as your inheritance or your possession, it probably will outlast you. As Ecclesiastes says in chapter 5, and let me just focus you on verse 13 to 15. But just for context purposes, we included earlier verses. But in verse 13, it says, There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This is also a grievous evil, exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Enjoy it while it lasts, and enjoy it while you last. Let's go to point number two. Peter moves on and gives us the second perspective of how we can be confidently joyful. Why we can continue to be confidently joyful in the midst of sufferings. Second is a proven faith. And look at the second part of verse 6 and the first part of verse 7. Allow me to read for you. It says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and to glory and honor at the revelation or at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know, in the remainder of verse 6, Peter lists four concise features of trouble. And allow me to outline them for you. First, he said, troubles are temporary. 
He declares that trouble is just for a little while. Okay? If you're going through some form of difficulty or pain, it will be for a while. Second, he says, they only come if they are necessary in the eyes of God. Amen? God does not allow any trouble in the lives of His elect if it is not necessary. You know, the problem is, it's always necessary. <laughs> but, but my point here is, you know, trials for believers. Listen to me. Trials for believers don't just happen by random chance. They don't happen by accident. For the elect, if you are a chosen of God, difficulties, pain, even temptation, they come by divine design. Amen. I am reminded of Kuya Kim, the weather reporter, in our uh, primetime evening news. He said, and, and he has this, his line, his tagline, he says, Ang buhay ay... Okay, you got it. All right. How do you translate that in the English? Brother Mel said you have to speak in English there. Okay. It's another way of saying that life is merely by random chance. I know Kuya Kim did not mean it that way. Perhaps for him it was just a pun of words. Okay? But, but some people think that way. That life is random chance. Friends, Morgan Freeman thinks that way. And, but friends, no. The Bible tells us life is not primarily by random chance. Life, most especially for the elect in Christ, is by the sovereign will of God. Amen. We are in the hands of the Almighty God. And Jesus said, no one can snatch you away from my Father's hands. My Father is greater than I. And that's why Paul says, all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to His purposes. And problems happen why? Because third feature is because they were intended to purify us. They were, they were intended to purify our faith. How else can we expect life to be in the context of sanctification? Do you know the three aspects of our redemption, our salvation? Do you know that? Okay, it begins with justification. It continues with sanctification, and it will culminate with glorification. Where are we right now? We are at the stage of sanctification, friends. We are in the sanctification stage. And that's why for us believers, when things are happening wrong, let's not look up to heaven and raise our fists and begin to ask God, why? Why God? Or some of us begin to ask the question, why me, God? Because God will just say, why not? 
why not? Friends, it is for the proving of our faith, which is more precious than gold. By analogy, God tests the genuineness of the faith of us whom he has called in Christ Jesus. You know, allow me an illustration before uh, in this point. Supposing you are a gun enthusiast, okay? Do we have gun enthusiasts here in the congregation? Now, supposing you were able to acquire the most accurate and sophisticated pistol in the world, and you have practiced hours and hours with it in the firing range. You spent a significant amount for target bullets. They said, you know, one bullet today costs... uh, the same as one hollow block, okay? And if you practice enough in the firing race, you'll probably be able to build a small house already, okay, with it. But, but supposing you practice hours and hours and you've spent a significant amount for target bullets, but, but you, haven't, you, you have never really joined and won in a competition with your sophisticated pistol. You have never experienced the pressures of the obstacle course alongside opponents and time pressure. Now, I'm pretty sure you are happy with the practice results, but it is not the same joy and confidence as when you have bested the best in your class at a prestigious world competition, right? Or another illustration is, supposing you are a Marine in the Philippine Army, and you became one because you were able to survive all the rigorous requirements to be categorized as one. You have now the best and the most sophisticated weapon array an elite soldier could ever dream of. You have used them in practice training many times over, but you have never been into any actual live combat situation, never really tested your metals on dangerous and real combat missions where the degree of life threat and the factor of difficulty is so hard to predict or anticipate, where you find yourself in an unfamiliar, hostile territory and executing a mission which is next to impossible. And the firefight begins and your best buddies are among the initial casualties in the melee. And the fight continues for 15 days with no end in sight. You're just an expert in practice. No real experience in life combat like that. And friends, imagine coming out of that kind of an experience of being in a real-life firefight. Imagine the sense of joy and accomplishment of succeeding and surviving a hellish nightmare like that. Imagine with me the joy and fulfillment of surviving and being victorious through a baptism of fire. Friends. You know, God designed various forms of trials to purify our faith so that it may come out genuine and worthy of God's affirmation and condemnation. Before I leave this point, step with me into the shoes of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, 
Meshach, and Abednego after they challenged King Nebuchadnezzar and they braved the threat of being thrown into the furnace of blazing fire and survived it. Friends, imagine the confidence and the joy that accompanies that and continues on in the heart of those who have gone through that experience. Step into the shoes of Daniel after he braved the edict of King Darius and survived the lion's death. And you know, I could go on to tell you of Mordecai and Gideon and Joshua and the others, but time will fail me. And so, in this second major point, let me leave you with these words of Haruki Murakami. He said, once the storm is over, you won't remember how you made it through, how you managed to survive. You won't even be sure, in fact, whether the storm is really over. But one thing is certain, when you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person who walked in. That's what this storm is all about, friends. And, and, and A.W. Tozer, I think, if my memory serves me right, it was A.W. Tozer who said this. He said, God does not use anyone greatly whom he has not hurt deeply. God does not use anyone greatly whom he has not hurt deeply. Friends. Let's go to the third one. The third that Peter presents to us here in this passage is a promised honor. We can be confidently joyful amidst trials because we have a promised honor. A second part of uh, verse 7 says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's why God wills for us to go through testings. Why? Because God is purifying our faith. He is developing our faith so that it might become genuine. And it might be prepared for God's commendation at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are three things here, the threefold tribute that we are told by Peter. If we will, if our faith will be to the praise, glory, and honor. And someone said, as praise suggests the redeemed man's relation to his Lord, so honor suggests the redeemed man's relation to fellow citizens of heaven or the new Jerusalem. And glory speaks of the man himself as transfigured and lifted up into the light and luster of communion and conformity to the image of the Lord. Friends. And that's the perfecting and the developing that God is doing in our faith at this time. We are at the sanctification stage of our salvation. How else can we process the things that God allowed to happen in our lives, even the difficult things? Amen? 
It is for our purification. To what end? To Christ-likeness. The goal is conformity to Christ. You know, just before I leave this point, let me just show you this image in our next slide. And here is an artist's concept of the appearing of Christ in the heavens. You know, I do not know if it will be exactly like that, friends, but that is the best of how an artist can portray it in painting. Perhaps it will be like that. Amen. But my point is this. You know, the appearing of Christ on that day, referred in verse 7, will be a glorious revelation like no other. Jesus will appear in all His glory, grandeur, and power. And Christ's glory is at present hid. It is obscured while He is perfecting the elect. But when He comes with the clouds and every eye shall see Him, and everything that was considered, listen to me, everything that was considered valuable, significant, and worthy of all effort will instantly lose their meaning, friends. When that sign appears in the heavens, everything that we consider significant and important and valuable in this life will suddenly lose their meaning. Take, for example, you just recently bought a 4.5 million SUV. And it's parked out there on your lawn, and you're admiring it as it shines and gleams in the noonday sun. And then suddenly, that sign appears in the heavens. What happens to the value of your 4.5 million SUV? It begins to amount to nothing, friends. It's not important anymore. Our houses and real estates, our titles and achievements, that has nothing to do with our faith in Christ. All our bank accounts and everything else loses their meaning and their value. At the appearing of Jesus Christ, all earthly possessions and titles disappear. At the appearing of Jesus Christ, every person, both living and dead, suddenly become nobodies in the presence of the grandeur and glory and the awesome appearance of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega. All earthly protocols and order of importance will be no more. It will be no more. And may I say, there will only be one kind of recognition for praise, honor, and, own, and glory. One recognition only for praise, glory, and honor from God. And what is that, friends? It would be for faith purified through sufferings. That's the only recognition that will be there. And if I may add also, there will only be one category of recipients. The faithful in Christ purified through, through sufferings. Through sufferings. And the question I would like to ask before I leave this point is, 
Will you and I be one of them who will be commended by the Lord with praise, glory, and honor? And while we await that, friends, let's ask ourselves, will my faith today, the way it's going at this time, is it to the praise to the glory and to the honor of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Figure it out, friends. In number four, Peter says, we can be confidently joyful because we have personal fellowship with Christ. And this is kind of implied in verse eight. Okay, allow me to read for you. And I'll explain after. He says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, if you really think about what he is saying there, that seems to be impossible. Okay. How can you love somebody you do not see. You have no tangible proof of. And how do you trust and believe somebody you do not see? And yet he says that. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him. Believing there implies trust. Okay? Dependency. How can you do that? And then, what's more is, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. How can you greatly rejoice in something that you do not have tangible proof, friends? But let me say, we have tangible proof through the Holy Spirit. Once again, Please allow me to remind you the context of the audience here are believers who possess the Holy Spirit. And if you will allow me to expound, why is our inheritance far, far greater than any inheritance in this world? It is imperishable. It will be uncorrupted and it will not fade away. Why? Well, first, in the spiritual aspect of that great inheritance, is the Holy Spirit. God, the very God Himself, in the Holy Spirit, dwelling in you and me. Amen. And friends, to strike significance, think about this. In the midst of sufferings, in the midst of difficulties, where sometimes you could not even share what you're going through and what you're feeling, even with those who are closest to your heart. Amen. Have you ever gone through that situation when you could not even tell your family what you are going through? Where will you find strength, friends? The Holy Spirit provides us the inner strength as we go through that, friends. Only believers who are genuinely born of the Holy Spirit can have that. Aside from the strength, friends, the Holy Spirit provides us comfort. He provides us comfort. 
and we find peace, and we find hope in the midst of the most adverse of circumstances. And let me add one more. And the Holy Spirit helps us into personal intimacy with God. That's what Romans 8 says. Okay? We do not shrink back to fear again, but we continue on to the preserving of our soul. And by which we relate to God and we cry out, Abba, Father. Now that's a term of endearment that implies intimacy with God. Brothers and sisters, are you developing personal intimacy with the Lord? And this is something very important. Young people and old alike, for all of us, God desires that we cultivate personal intimacy with Him. Of all people in this world, we are those who are called in Christ Jesus that have the privilege and the capacity for that. Amen? And why is this important, friends? Because love and trust are the two crucial ingredients in any meaningful relationships. Let me repeat that once more. Love and trust are the two crucial ingredients in any meaningful relationships. And it's so significant that Peter was the one writing this. Why? Because Peter is someone who knows this by personal experience, by firsthand experience. Why? Let me point out this significance because Peter was one, the one disciple who exhibited the most damaging breach of faith and trust in the Lord. You remember? He denied Jesus Christ three times. So the third time, he cursed to deny Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us. And when Jesus resurrected, Jesus went to them in the shores of Galilee, prepared breakfast for them. And when Peter recognized him from the boat, he jumped into the water and swam to the shore. And in their conversation, you remember what the Lord Jesus asked Peter? The Lord said, Peter, do you love me more than this? And Jesus speaks a language of love. Did not give any hint of what Peter did. Amen? And Jesus continues to just affirm him. Do you love me more than this? And if I may add a little more detail, you know, Jesus used the word agapete from, from agape, which speaks of the God kind of love, this unconquerable benevolence of God in loving those whom He, he has chosen in Christ. And Jesus said, Peter, do you agapete me? And Peter replied, you know, in the English he said, Lord, you know I love you. But in the original word, Jesus uh, Peter uses a different Greek word. He uses phileos. He said, Lord, you know I phileos you. Why? 
I believe Peter could not use the very same word that Jesus used in his questions, in his questions to him. It's more like Peter saying, I believe, that Lord, Lord, you know that I love you, but my love is not the same as yours. I don't know. Maybe I will fail you again, Lord. And Peter doesn't trust himself anymore. But Jesus continues to affirm his love for him. And Jesus is more like saying, Peter, don't focus on your love. Focus more on my love for you. And I don't know what is happening in your lives today, but brothers and sisters, look more to the love of God and the greatness of God's love for you. You know, before I leave this point, let me just say, the Christian life is essentially a relationship of love between the Father and the Son. And that's why that's the analogy always presented to us. The love of the Father and the Son. God the Father and Jesus Christ, His Son, friends. And why is that? Because in the economy of God, the only currency God will accept is the currency of love. What I mean here is this. You and I cannot relate to God on a transactional basis. We cannot say, God, if you do this for me, I will do this for you. Now, that's like having a contract with God. We cannot have a transactional relationship with God. Why, friends? Allow me to qualify. The language of Scripture for our redemption is a language of love, and God will not receive anything back except a reciprocation of love from us. Amen. Look at those, look at the scriptures. John 3.16. Will you recite with me? For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. Romans 8.38 and 39. Bear with me. He says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One more, friends. Galatians 2.20. Have you memorized that? Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Who loved me and gave Himself up for me. All that to prove to us that it is always a language of love, friends. And the only fitting response for us is to reciprocate with love. And the only people that have that is you and me, called in Christ Jesus, the elect of God. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, for the love of God controls us. The love of God. Brothers and sisters, are we being controlled by the love of God? 
And someone said, I think it's here in the slide, before we go to the, to the last one, I think, your heart for God will take you further than your gift ever will. And I believe by implication, all of the things that we can do in serving God in the ministry are all from the gift of God through the Holy Spirit. Amen? All of the good things we see in ourselves to serve God are all from God as a gift of enablement and empowering. But friends, a reciprocation from the heart is something that is prompted by God and it requires a volitional choice on our part. Amen. But I tell you, our heart of love for God will take us further than any other gift ever will. Let's go to the last one. The last one is, Peter says, we can be confidently joyful even in the midst of troubles and pain and suffering. Why? Because we have a preserving durability. And notice how he speaks of this like a done deal in verse 9. He says, obtaining as the outcome of your faith. He talks now of the outcome, friends. And he's looking forward to the outcome. And he says, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And friends here is not talking about Salvation as being justified from sin, okay? From being spiritually dead. This is salvation referring to the constant present deliverance from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, which basically comes from guilt. And God provides us that in the Holy Spirit. You know, friends, let me say this. As we come to the close of this message, that... We, believers in Christ Jesus, when, when we are going through suffering, figure it out. The first thing we ought to turn to is God and His amazing realities that He has given us in salvation to Christ, through Christ. When we are in the midst of sufferings, don't begin with some temporary relief or some momentary solutions to the problem. God in Christ is telling us in this passage, go for that which is sure and permanent and profound, tied closely to the spiritual blessings of faith and hope and love and given by God through His Son and through the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is what God has given us. We have this already. We have a preserving durability in the midst of whatever life can throw at us. Amen? In the midst of whatever the devil can throw at us, we can survive. And not only can we survive, we will prevail. Amen? We will prevail, brothers and sisters. And so, allow me to just present to you in in perspective, friends. And why can we be confidently joyful? Because we can focus on this spiritual perspective, a protected inheritance, a proven faith, 
a promised honor, a personal intimacy, and a preserving durability. Allow me to end with a story. And this is a story of a donkey who fell down an abandoned well. I don't know if you've heard of this, but, but allow me to share this for you in closing. You know, the animal cried piteously for hours as the farmer tried to figure out what to do. And the farmer was at a loss. How can he pull out this donkey from this, from the pit? And finally, he decided the animal was old, that the well needed to be covered anyway, and that it just wasn't worth retrieving the donkey. So he invited all his neighbors to come and bring shovels with them. And so they began to shovel earth into the abandoned well. And as the donkey began to realize what was happening, all the more he cried out. He began to realize that probably they were burying him alive. But after a little while, he kind of figured it out, friends. And every time dirt falls on his back, he wiggles it off and it falls to the ground. And the earth begins to accumulate from the bottom until finally, no, it was high enough for him to leap out into the well, friends. My point is this. Peter is saying to us, and God is saying to us, life is full of pits and deep wells. And even the Christian life seems to be always shoveling dirt on us. All kinds of dirt. The dirt of fear, doubt, anxiety, frustration, and depression, to name a few. But based on the truth of God's Word we meditated upon today, brothers and sisters, the trick, the key to getting out of the pits and deep wells of life is to shake it off with our living hope by focusing on our eternal inheritance reserved in heaven for us who are protected by the power of God. Amen. Go back to the wealth of truth of our salvation and make our stand there to fight the good fight of faith amidst troubles and trials and pain and difficulty. And take a step up with all the riches that we know we now have through Jesus Christ. Amen? You can figure it out. And so in conclusion, to the elect of God in Christ, confident joy is not some brief, shallow, circumstantial emotion, but rather something permanent and profound tied closely to the spiritual blessings of faith, hope, and love and given by God through His Son and the Holy Spirit. Figure that out. Thanks. Amen. But God is not through yet with me here, friends. 
Perhaps some of you are not sure that you are born again. Perhaps it's your first time in this kind of gathering. And let, don't, let me grab the opportunity. And I appeal to you, take the opportunity to respond to the wealth of God's love for you in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to die for our sins. And I would like to invite you in prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. But before, before I do that, let me ask you this question. Most especially to those of you who are not sure if you're really saved, if you are born again with a living hope. First question, do you believe you are a sinner? If your answer is yes, do you believe you cannot save yourself by your good works? If your answer is said is yes to that also, my third question and last is, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for you at the cross of Calvary and rose from on the third day to prove that all his claims are true? Do you believe that? If your answer to all those three questions is yes, the only thing that remains is to receive Jesus Christ by prayer, to submit to Him by prayer. And if that is your desire, bow down with me and, and join me in this prayer of faith. Allow me to facilitate for you. Allow me that today. Pray with me. Pray with me from your heart, from where you are seated. Let's begin. Heavenly Father. Yes, pray with me. Heavenly Father. I confess before you, I am a sinner, and I cannot save myself by my own efforts and by my good works. I ask forgiveness for my sins. Lord Jesus, today, I submit my life to you, and I recognize you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the grave. From this day on, I commit my life to you. Be Lord of my life. Teach me how to live according to your word, the Bible. And I invite you, Lord, live in me through the Holy Spirit. This is my faith and my prayer. Amen. And amen. If you pray that prayer, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. Thank you.